0: Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 103. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. So, the conceit that I'm asking you how your week has gone (laughs) has really, like, fallen off since the the (laughs) lockdown, is it? Because
1: we know our weeks are now basically the same. Yeah, like, there's not a lot of week-to-week variants, let's be honest. So, (laughs) a little monotonous, a little bit of flat on the curve thing.
0: Yeah, it's, um,
1: it's going to, it, it,
0: I think this is probably, we're at the point where everyone is kind of, you, w- you want this to be done as soon as possible, but at the same time we know we still have so far to go, mm-hmm. right? So it, it, it can be a little um, frustrating, a little, uh, you know, disappointing, but we have some hockey talk for you today to hopefully take your mind off that.
1: That's what we're for. So uh, the first thing we were going to look at is that we're hearing a lot of ideas as to how the NHL might eventually resume. Floating around, nothing is final yet. Obviously, this depends a lot on certain prerequisites for it being safe enough to play any kind of hockey. There's no scenario, it sounds like, where fans are going to be in the arena if they do resume play. That just doesn't seem like something that's going to be doable. But... There are apparently ideas that have been mooted around. For a bit there was some talk about neutral site playoffs which was kind of interesting where they would go to um, a smaller location that had the ranks to support some sort of playoff. They'd have all the players and all the staff stay there and just sort of whiz through games as fast as they can with a sort of isolated tournament. That apparently isn't going to be happening. There's now more of a move to using rinks in nhl cities that were less hard hit by COVID. did they say
0: why that neutral site thing was was gonna be um why why it's no longer seeming to be considered
1: not that i saw Mm -hmm. but this is all in sort of the leaking stage so you know they're not committed to anything they could go back to it if they felt yeah exactly i mean
0: i i imagine you know everything is in such flux at this point that Mm -hmm. you know there's a possibility that this looks this podcast and this discussion looks incredibly out of date based on information we get in the next week, right? Things mm-hmm. things move on a you know pretty significant basis in small amounts of time uh in this in this new world. So yeah, it, it's going to be tricky. Uh so the, this is not the point of the discussion. We're not going to make this like very COVID specific, but the problem I run into with like trying to restart this um the nhl season like even anytime soon is what happens if one person gets COVID.
1: that's the problem
0: right like every idea i've seen kind of makes sense until you ask what if one person gets COVID? what happens right because there's a lot of people behind the nhl behind the scenes in the nhl Mm -hmm. right so you know you have assistant coaches athletic trainers physiotherapists team doctors team chefs all those people and i don't know you put them in like some bubble dome or something what happens if, like, the guy delivering food to the bubble drone ends up getting COVID? Mm-hmm. Or, like, the truck driver ends up getting COVID? Or, like, one person. Like, well, what do you do? And I feel like the only logical answer is shut it down again.
1: Yeah, and that's where you kind of stumble with all of these things. Unless they can find a way to make it so that transmission rates are really, really low. And I don't know if that's just from everyone wearing really good masks or something. But... It does seem like it's really at risk of blowing up at any time, and that's where it's always stumbled. You know, I, I could see, conceivably, something like, I mean, golf is the obvious sport. That might be a little easier to still perform at a social distance.
0: Right, because, like, there's... I mean, as soon as you get rid of the no galleries, mm-hmm. there's almost no interaction with anyone.
1: Yeah, like, you might have a better chance anyway. You know, if everyone just abides by the rules. But with hockey, it's going to be tough. Like, this is a league where everyone gets mumps. You know? Like, <laughs> there's a whole issue with contagion. Uh, that's I mean, happening. well, no, just this season, the Leafs had, like, a two week
0: spell in their play where they looked like dog shit. Everyone's like, yeah, there's a flu bug going through the team. Like, 80% of the guys are infected.
1: Yeah, you know, you're at very close quarters a lot in the course of a hockey game, you know, with your teammates. And so. I don't know if we're going to send them all out in, in 95 masks or what, but... I, even celebrating a goal probably results in, like,
0: that's an <laughs> exchange of saliva, honestly.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Brad Marchand, you can't even let him play. So, <laughs> so all that said, it, it is a bit whistling in the dark here, trying to th- forecast where this is going to go. We do know the league is talking about it. They're kicking around a lot of ideas. We do know they would like to do something because they're taking a huge hit to revenue, as we've discussed before, and this would be a way to get some back. Um, if we're still in a partially COVID-ridden world, when this kicks up again, but and that seems likely, um, they might not have a lot of competition for viewers in terms of capitalizing on a lot of housebound people. And so there are strong incentives for them to do something.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the first sports league that comes back is going to suck up a lot of attention by default. And if you're the NHL, you know, on some level, that's probably appealing.
1: Yeah, you'd like it to be you. Uh, You know, consider this a chance to build your fan base and whatnot. That said, there are a lot of different variations that we're hearing going around. And because, again, Toronto is the center of the hockey universe, we thought we would say, is this proposed idea good or bad? for the Toronto Maple Leafs.
0: And therefore, is it good or bad period?
1: Yeah, I mean, the two things are identical. So the first thing is, if the NHL insists on finishing the regular season, you know, if they don't just run with point percentage, um, that's bad for the Leafs. The Leafs can't realistically pass Tampa Bay. They're probably kind of stuck in third in the Atlantic, and that's the good scenario. All they can really do in the rest of the regular season is drop in the standings, or out of the playoffs entirely, so we would just assume they go right into the playoffs coming back. The league is apparently pretty keen on playing some remainder of the regular season.
0: Which seems idiotic to me, like, even beyond being a Leafs fan, it's like, really? This whole experiment is a ticking time bomb, and you want to spend time on games that basically do not matter.
1: Yeah, and you know, they talk about everyone has to get back into game shape, and I'm thinking... Yeah, up to a point, but like, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting it to be, oh, perfect defensive hockey first thing back, and I don't even know that that's especially desirable.
0: God forbid we have players <laughs> making mistakes in open hockey.
1: I know, it might be We wouldn't exciting. want that. Can you imagine between Tampa and Toronto, too? That would be just a gong show. But Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, if, if we know, get something like October hockey... That'd be I, I fun. Wouldn't, I wouldn't be averse to that. I mean yeah why not why not like i mean put it this way with starting the restarting the nhl my primary concern is what about the defensive integrity of these nhl team systems (laughs) like that's that's not in the first 100 things i'm thinking about
1: oh man you know we gotta get that commitment to finishing our checks and whatnot anyway yeah so we're thinking if possible we'd love it to go right back in i have to say i think for the reason that we just mentioned the incentive is to go shorter But if you're doing that, and uh, Justin Bourne had an article about this, like, say you're Montreal or Buffalo or whoever, where you're just kind of hanging around. Do you really want to come back and play 10, 12 games and then not really have it matter? Yeah, what's the upside for
0: them? I mean, normally in these times, you kind of want to try out young players, give them a bit of a taste of the NHL, maybe, you know, Give yourself some more information about them. This is far from a usual circumstance. So it's hard to probably glean a lot from that. And, you know, what happens if Jack Eichel breaks his foot, you know, blocking a shot in, in one of these games or something?
1: Yeah, I know. I'd be kind of pissed. And so I don't know how the incentives break down there. Uh, Brennan Gallagher apparently gave a quote where he, not quite in so many words, but he basically said, if you want us to come back, widen the playoff pool like (laughs) he just was like we don't have anything to play for you know in Montreal because they are effectively eliminated and so yeah that's a good time to bring up the another idea the idea of widening the playoff pool
0: so it goes without saying GMs love this idea
1: yeah and you know it's like more than half the league makes the playoffs anyway it's kind of silly to have it get even higher It's probably bad for the Leafs, not coincidentally, uh, if the field widens, because the Leafs are probably going to make it, and more teams coming in hurts their chances. It could conceivably be good for the Leafs if they flop in what's left of the regular season, assuming one is played, but by and large, we probably don't want this.
0: Yeah, and again, aside, putting aside my bias of whether it helps the Leafs, I, I don't I, I hate these ideas to increase the playoff field, and you always get, you know, Friedman or LeBron basically, you know, just parroting what some GM has very obviously told them
1: mm-hmm.
0: about, like, oh, you know, we really should increase the playoff field. It's so tight in the mid-pack. It's like, well, yeah, these are mediocre teams. Yeah. Why, <laughs> why do I care that... Oh, well, you know, the 16th best te- or sorry, the 18th best team is pretty close to the 16th best team. Really, we, you know, it's unfair for them to not have the chance to prove their worth. It's
1: like they had 82 games to prove their worth. They weren't in the top 16. Yeah. Sorry. Show's over. Go home. So, yeah, no, I to- I totally agree with you on that one. I think it cheapens the whole thing, but
0: the regular season is already insanely devalued. Yeah. Almost like an NBA level. Um and it's a little bit different, because in the NBA, the regular season doesn't matter because t- the good teams and good players will just turn it on in the playoffs, and playoff basketball is very different to play or to regular season basketball. Mm-hmm. In the NHL, the regular season doesn't matter because on- people only care about what happens in the playoffs, and hockey's a random sport. Tampa Bay was a historically good team last year. They're a punchline now. Yeah. Right? And, and like, no one cares about their regular season.
1: Least of all them. Least you of know? all them, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's very true. And so...
0: Adding teams to the playoff field delegitimizes the regular season even further. Like the regular season already has a problem where you know February March, um, gets a little bit.
1: It's dog-based. a drag. Yeah, like I it, mean, it was. Yeah,
0: definitely a monkey's paw wish. Like man, I wish I wish something would happen to make the rest of this NHL season a bit more different than usual.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it did change things up a little bit. How was that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, the honest truth is, I think the NHL season in a perfect world would be sixty games. Mm -hmm. but uh, that's way too radical for that to happen if the NHL can avoid it. And so I guess I just have to hope the wider field thing doesn't really catch on the obvious thing. And this has already happened to a large extent is that by the time the league starts up again, pretty much every player in the NHL should be recovered from hockey related injuries. With the exception of maybe Brent Seabrook or, Dustin Bufflin like the Leafs will have Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin and probably Ilya Makayev back now the Tampa Bay Lightning who are our probable opponent will get Stephen Stamkos back which makes them a lot better but I tend to think that the Leafs are so hopeless with both Riley and Muzzin out on defense our need is greater whereas Tampa is still very very good without Stamkos so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The other possibility is kind of going the other way and saying, okay, you know, uh, let's shorten the first round.
1: <laughs>
0: right? Which I actually think that makes a lot of sense. Um and because I I view restarting the season as I said before as a ticking time bomb. Yeah. You're taking a risk. Right? Um mm-hmm. it's not this isn't going away in the next month to 2 months. So even if you start like let's say June, right? this is still going to be a thing Mm -hmm. right and again as we as we covered before as soon as one person gets covid what happens like you can isolate that person but that person might have been like unless you're testing people very very regularly like every single day almost Mm -hmm. it it's really 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 problematic when one person gets tested so the way i see it you if the nhl is like kind of dead set on restarting the season and i understand why they would be because it's you know hundreds of millions of dollars on the line Mm -hmm. they have to do it in a way that basically balances preserving the legitimacy of the contest like you don't want a bunch of best of ones yeah that decide the cup champion but also man let's wrap this up quick
1: right so yeah i don't know how they'll pull that off there are a lot of moving parts there I think to come back to the playoffs would be good from a gameplay perspective. It's good from a Leafs perspective. But yeah, it's very much up in the air right now. And you have to wonder what kind of testing infrastructure they are counting on to meet the issue that you're talking about, which is like, how do you control for this kind of risk? So we'll see. I can't say I'm really expecting the league to come back. But I expect them to try. You know, like, I think that they are going to really, really want to. I just find myself thinking, look, one, the border is not open the U.S.-Canada traffic. Which is a problem. And it's probably not going to open for a bit. And two, I have heard no answer to the what if one guy gets sick problem. So... Yeah, very much wait and see on that one.
0: Mm-hmm. And the the thing is, you can do everything the right way here. Like, you can be cautious or as, as about as cautious as possible without fully canceling the season, which is the most cautious thing to do. hmm But you can go kind of one step beyond that, and then things can still go belly up. Right. Right? It, it, it's, like, through no fault of your own, a player could get COVID and then transmit it to someone else and all that stuff. Like, it, it's very very easy to see a situation where this goes wrong
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: And, i mean broadly speaking the people in the nhl are not the highest risk individuals but like even if you know god forbid the the death rate is is you know let's say let's say hypothetically among people who are nhl athletes it's you know one to two percent well you know that's that's not nothing
1: not in a league with 700 players and a huge number of staff supporting them yeah and and
0: then you have a lot of you know older people behind the scenes coaches trainers all that stuff who are potentially at more risk and even if you're healthy like and you beat the virus like going through it is no you know walk in the park it's not pleasant
1: yeah and you know we still don't know a whole lot about the long-term impacts that it can have Mm -hmm. in terms of you know we're at this early stage where there's crazy stuff about potential long-term lung issues or blood clotting and stuff like that and it's like this is all pretty serious this is a bad pandemic i mean i think everyone's figured that out but like this is as bad of one as the western world has faced in a hundred years and so it's going to be very difficult i don't think that this is really precedented in the modern era for
0: no and i mean Given that the NHL can't seem to figure out a point system that works, <laughs> or consistently, uh, consistently punish rules and fractions <laughs> or you know, you know, any number of things, like refuse to, um, or even something as simple as like you know, th- these are these are the thought leaders that brought you. Let's have an open Zoom chat with our black prospect.
1: Oh God! Right, like I, I this is not a Mensa meeting. <laughs> sadly no i mean i i think i'll say this i don't think gary bettman is stupid no
0: no he's, he's, um, he's not he's a very smart guy but like yeah th- there's <laughs> the nhl has very clearly made mistakes before and here they're in a situation where mistakes are potentially fatal right you yes. have huge yeah. impacts and implications now that might make them more cautious right like it's one thing to be you know oh whatever if our point system doesn't make like know we can have a stupid point system. that's a bit of a pithy statement by me it's not actually relevant right but Mm -hmm. the the point is that there's there's a lot that can go wrong here and i hope they're very cautious because the reality is you know and it's easy for me to say this because it's not my money but the the potential damage to human life probably outweighs the money in this case yeah if if you don't do this properly
1: Yeah, I I mean, they have to recognize that there's a whole lot of associated risk here. And that's going to be a problem that, you know, every walk of life is going to be facing, or at least governments regarding them, for the the next year, probably. You know, it's like, how can we open this up safely? Or how can we mitigate risk here? And it's going to be tough to know when certain things can come all the way back. I do think that, like, gate-driven high-revenue hockey games where it's like you have 20,000 people in the stands. That will be like the last thing that comes back after this pandemic. That's when you have a vaccine territory, probably. And uh, this is actually worth noting. Uh, our boss, Catch a Nap, had a article on how the professional sports landscape or the professional hockey landscape is threatened by this because most of the lower leagues, their revenue is almost all people coming to the games. You know, the NHL can put on a, a major TV product. The ECHL doesn't really. So that's an aside is something that sort of clouds the whole picture, but it's going to be tough.
0: Yeah, very much so. So uh, it's, you know, we're long on questions and short on answers here, right? Yeah. I, I think every every league is, is going to be like this, right? Um, the NBA is facing a lot of similar issues where, you know, it, it's – basically the exact same problem right you have a lot of people who are very close contact there's a big support system behind the players and coaches they kind of need to be in place there's absolutely no way you're going to get gate revenue at all now the nba is more of a tv league than a gate league Mm -hmm. in comparison to the nhl right the nba's tv deal is enormous compared to the nhl's but you know they're facing the same set of issues so it's going to be really unclear um or sorry it currently is very unclear how they're going about it. The the other complication I think the NHL has, and I, th- I think Bettman has kind of said, "Oh, this won't actually be an issue," but I think it might. Is there, there's a natural kind of physical constraint in that it's hard to maintain. It's harder to maintain good ice as weather gets warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, that will hopefully be negated by the fact that in a lot of these hockey arenas, they're dual purpose, so they're often changing from ice to. You know, basketball hardwood to concert venue seating, and back and forth, and that kind of takes a toll on it. But generally speaking, like we've seen teams struggle even in regular seasons with ice quality. The Leafs are one of those teams. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen if you know they they set this up in a relatively warmer weather place that haven't that's like perhaps less hit by, by the virus and ice quality is, is is poor because it's getting chewed up constantly, right? If if everyone's in one city. There's a lot of games being played on the same ice.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So that's another constraint that that comes into play and probably makes it harder for the NHL than the NBA.
1: Yeah, because, you know, you don't have to worry about the quality of the floor usually in an NBA arena. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's all kind of hanging over things, but it's a bit of a tour from where we're coming at it from a Leafs perspective. Now we're going to go full into nerd territory because... There has been an innovation in the hockey analytics visualization sphere.
0: Yes, very uh, exciting (laughs) times. And I say that, uh, I mean, there's a bit of irony when I say that, but um, it is actually very cool. So we won't get too into the weeds here, but um, often we we mention things like RAPM and isolated threat. And these are measures that attempt to uh, separate out how individual players impact play driving based on various metrics so you can do that with how they impact um, you know their team shot rates for how they impact their team shot rates against their expected goals for or goals for you know anything really Um, and these are you know very very useful to to get a sense of uh, what a player's play driving impact is because this method and it's a regression based method um, it attempts to account for a player's context right their teammates their their opposition their zone usage all that sort of thing so no longer do we have to kind of play that mental game of oh this guy has a course row of three percent but he plays tough competition is that better than this guy who has a four percent course row, but he's sheltered on a good team whereas you know the three percent guys on a bad team this attempts to isolate for everything it's by no means perfect but it's a lot better than making the mental adjustments in your head because it, it's more regimented and more um Sophisticated mathematically, right? Mm-hmm. So the two models that I would typically refer to are, as I said, RIPM and Isolated Threat. RIPM is done by uh, the Evolving Wild Twins and it's available at evolvinghockey.com. And Isolated Threat, um, what was called Isolated Threat, is done by Micah McCurdy at Hockey Fiz. So Micah has updated his uh, Isolated Threat model, and I guess now we can just call it Isolated XG Impact. And there's a host of changes, and he's he's written up the changes. They're available at Um, kind of a very detailed write-up of what he did. And I'm not going to, you know, uh, explain that here because, one, he does it a lot better than I could. And, two, you know, our podcast your listenership has gone down enough with COVID. I don't need to send it down <laughs> further. But the idea here, the main changes is that the expected goals model he is kind of – using as a target has been souped up before. It was basically just location-based, and now it is. it includes a lot of other ancillary factors like the shot type um, and other kind of proxy variables as well. Uh, So that that helps. And then he's also changed some of the mathematical things with uh, how he's chosen to kind of chain player's seasons or chain estimates of player ability from season to season. And again, I'm not going to get too uh, into that, but the long and short of it is that the model has been made better so we can we can look at this and kind of assess how leafs show up here right and, and give a get a sense of okay you know for some players we're interested in how do they appear on this new improved model and um foodman much to your joy <laughs> we, we we found something and that, that's that tyson berry it looks like ass and to be clear Tyson Berry has always looked like ass by Isolitharite, and he's almost always looked like ass by um, RAPM too. Like, this this was the kind of issue, or the, the, the flag we raised cautiously when we acquired him. Is like, the numbers aren't actually that good. Mm-hmm. And we were, I think, pretty bullish at the time. It's like, oh, you know, but people talk highly about him, so maybe there's something that the numbers aren't seeing. And then we watched him, and it's like, oh, fuck, man, the numbers were right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to tell you. It's just that he shoots too much. And I know that that sounds like very much a cheap seats complaint, but he does. He shoots a lot, and the shots are not especially high quality. And while we were hoping they would generate rebounds and things like that, they don't enough to make it that he's really driving chances when he's on the ice, it would appear. I really think that Tyson Berry's next contract has the potential to be really stupid. Like, very, very bad of an overpay. Now, he's more useful to other teams than us, I think, because he is part of productive power play units generally. We have Morgan Riley who can do that. If you're a team that really needs someone to do the power play, maybe you get Dyson Berry. But these charts hate him. My eye test hates him. Not in a personal way, but you have to understand. He's a frustrating-ass player to watch. And if this season is concluded, then I really hope that we wish Tyson Berry the very best, but we do not offer him a contract.
0: I mean, and the good thing is we can't, really, because mm-hmm. as we covered last week, we are so capped out that we, we don't even have to hurt his feelings, really, by saying, oh, like, we don't want you. And we can just yeah. say, oh, man, like, we can't offer you a contract that a player of your caliber would want.
1: Yeah. I mean, we literally couldn't pay him like $3 million a year. And he's gonna make a lot more than that. So, have fun out there, kids.
0: One thing I was I was thinking is Tyson buried to Vancouver not the most obvious, like kind of. I really expect to see that happen now, and it's gonna be like <laughs> a terrible decision. But uh, it's something Jim Benning is like definitely going to do.
1: It feels like he could. I wonder. I mean, they don't need him to do the power play though. Got no. So. But they,
0: they, they do need defenders, right? They're,
1: and so Tyson Berry doesn't do anything for that, but yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they need guys who suit up at defense, <laughs> let me rephrase. Um, yeah. and, and they're like one of those top-heavy teams. Except their top stars are like they're young guys, right? And I, I, so I followed a decent amount of Vancouver um, media, in part because they had a lot of really talented writers uh, uh, kind of c- come up through blogging about the Canucks, especially on the draft prospect side. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I keep seeing is like there's this um, divide where a lot of the old school, I guess I would say mainstream media is talking about, you know, oh, the, you know, the Canucks are are doing well and, you know, they have this veteran leadership and this young core and they're helping each other. And then the stats people are going, the veteran leadership isn't doing shit. The young people are dragging this team, (laughs) kicking and screaming.
1: Yep. And, you know. I mean, they've gone farther than maybe we thought they would. They have some great young talent, as we've been talking about. In they have the podcasts. best young
0: core in the league, I think.
1: Yep, that's fair. Right? Pettersson,
0: Hughes, Besser, Horvat.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty terrific base on which to build your team. And they have a goalie, too. Like,
0: they, they have their gold, option yeah, of goalies. It, yeah. Because Markstrom's been good in the NHL, too. Like, they're, they're in a really good spot. And we covered this when we talked, when we went went around the NHL. They're in a really good spot. We just don't trust their leadership.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, is, like, I just don't know about this. Now, that said, Jim Benning did. uh, He made that JT Miller trade, which actually looks pretty good. I mean, Miller's been effective for them. But, uh, yeah, not so sure about that one. But someone is going to pay Tyson Berry. And the thing is, is that he is obviously talented. He's one of those guys where it just does not... Add up to being as effective as it should be. I really think that he's just not a player that I could ever see wanting to give what he can get.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's, and I think this is important, an important distinguish, er, distinction to make. He's a talented player, but it, his talents don't necessarily coincide with what makes teams win. Mm-hmm. Right, that that's that's the fundamental. Like he can do things with the puck that are very very impressive, right? And that not a lot of defensemen can do. But those don't add as much value as you would think.
1: Yeah, I mean that's I think is going to be the takeaway on Tyson Berry is that he's very good in a lot of ways that don't end up driving goal differential for you. Like Mm -hmm. you don't really come out ahead with Tyson Berry.
0: Yeah, and so one thing you mentioned, like, right off the top was he takes too many shots, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the really nice things about Micah's isolated threat is that the outputs of these are shot maps. So not only do you see what a player's net effect on shot rates are, let's say, but you can see where they are getting shot rates, like, a, like spatially,
1: right? Mm-hmm. And I think
0: that's really cool. And with Tyson Barry, you look at his isolated threat map or his isolated XG map, and there is a big blob of shots coming from the right point when he's on the ice. Mm-hmm. And that's like his marginal impact accounting for everyone else, right?
1: Yeah, like, so it, it, we're it, trying it, to control for exactly what is Tyson Berry doing. And it's the answer the is thing.
0: lots of point shots. Yep. So, it, yeah, and, you know, I don't think we have to spend any time convincing anyone that he's not great defensively. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, you know, you, you take a step back and you're like, this guy is not all that valuable. And I do sort of... Does it kind of make you question Dubis at all that he went out and acquired Barry? Because, as I said, this is not an incredibly new take on him, right? This is a take that if any stats person, including us, right, kind of had, and we, we, we tempered it by saying we haven't seen the guy enough and other people speak highly of him, so maybe there's something more to it, but sure, if you're a GM, you kind of— you don't have that, the luxury of saying, oh, you know, I, I trust what other people have said. You have to form your own opinion on him. Does it mean anything to you that Dubas acquired him?
1: The thing is, is that you have to put it in the context of that deal where he was trying to add on defense and replace the 3C simultaneously. And I do give him some credit for coming away from that with Alexander Kerfoot, because I think that that was a difficult transaction. That said, I think he did expect Tyson Berry to be better. And I'm curious as to why he thought that. You know, maybe it was based on scouting and talent, or guys who know him. Who knows? Um, It's hard to predict how certain players will translate. But I do agree that there were warning signs in his profile before this, and here we are. So, yeah... I mean, I'm disappointed in how it's turned out. I, I still think the trade is understandable, but it it is, you know. It it hasn't been what we've hoped.
0: Mm-hmm, v- very much so. Um. I remember at the start of the season, there was, like, a certain amount of people who were like, yeah, you know, we're going to have to choose between Barry and Muzzin, and I'm not sure which one we're going to choose. And I think by November, everyone's like, yep, Muzzin. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, you know, the team ended up making that decision. So, mm-hmm. that's the end of that. But, yeah, uh, yeah anyway. Uh, we we, we bon talked voyage. about,
0: <laughs> sorry, just a yep. final thing. We we talked about the Muzzin extension as being like, oh, you know, there's some risk involved, which there is. And I think, you know, the Leafs have mitigated that risk to the extent possible. Um, I don't think there's any upside to a Barry deal, though. So, they get, <laughs> so some people said we were a bit lukewarm on, on Muzzin. If we signed the same deal for Barry, like, we would have become a Seattle Kraken dog.
1: Yeah, and by the way, I would be very surprised if Barry doesn't pull a bigger deal than Muzzin did. Yeah, points getting paid. Yeah, and that's what it's going to come down to. Uh, You know, I was on the fence and then narrowly in favor of the Muzzin deal. But, you know, like, with a lot of hesitation, because, you know, I'm kind of like that. But the Barry deal is just, like, run screaming out of the room. So, yeah, uh, there's another chart that's kind of happier for Leafs fans if you are into this sort of thing. Austin Matthews. Yes. Um, so, to put
0: it simply, when you look at Isolated Threat and, or Isolated XG, for, and, and sorry, I should have really mentioned this from the top. I think I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I should be explicit. These are estimates for this season, 2019 2020, so we do have to be careful about, you know, not saying, oh, this is what a player is, right? This is this is one season. It can be noisy. Um, in the case of Barry, it's been pretty similar his entire career. Funnily enough, 2018, 2019, he had a positive impact. Um, but, you know, since 15, 16, he, he has not really been a, a positive impact player uh, in, in terms of driving play. So moving to Matthews with the caveat that this is one year based on this one year Austin Matthews looks like he is having one of the best seasons in the, in the NHL
1: yep and I think he is and you know what that's that's kind of that I, I mean since Keefe came in Matthews has appeared to be more successful in cutting down quality against and I don't know how much of that is third forward high or the team changing or what's going on but but the result is that Matthew's impact looks like like heart trophy contention to me. Yes, like, like, like he's one, of, those one of the
0: five best players in the league. And, and so it, it was um, Alan at Loser Points um, of Raw Charge had a, a small little, I guess, not, not even thread, might have just been one tweet on, on Twitter where he was looking at, Nick, who are the best players by, by Micah's model? And the two that he looked at in terms of 2019-2020 um, were Nikita Kucherov and... Evgeny Malkin. And and again, we should um, also clarify that this is not like a complete look at a player, right? So the these isolated impact models can characterize a player's play driving and their shooting ability um, and like their penalty differential and whatnot, but that's obviously kind of a bit smaller of an impact. Uh, and for a lot of these players, and you think of guys like Crosby and McDavid, part of their appeal as players that they can potentially improve the shooting percentage of other players on their line not just their own right mm-hmm. so that is not completely captured here and that's essentially just a modeling choice um because we don't have the data to really understand that uh in a, in a quantitative way but anyways t- two of the best players by this are evgeny malkin and nikita kucherov and i pointed out to alan's like hey like you know if you look at matthews his is like very very similar to them and it is, and the, th- the thing that makes Matthew so unique is the combination of um, what now appears to be very strong play-driving and one of the best shots in the league.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And essentially no one else has that combination. It's such a rare combination.
1: Yeah, and it's incredible to kind of have that. You know, the hope, I, I said when we got him, is that you could have a, a center who could conceivably contend for the Richard and the Selkie in the same year. Now, early on in his career, Matthew's defense was not good. It's still a work in progress, in my opinion, but it's it's taken a real stride, I think. And while it's still a ways off from Selkie contention, his offensive game is so, so strong that if he just gets to good defensively, it'll be like the chart says, he'll be in contention for best player in the world, or at least not far behind McDavid. Yep. Who is... Uh, also worth discussing. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so
0: McDavid probably... If, so if you if you look at this um, chart, he probably looks worse than you expect.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the reason is essentially this chart, or this method, I shouldn't say this chart, the chart's not a sentient being. Um, the methodology views his and Leon Dreisaitl's defense as a very significant
1: negative. Yeah, like it says that they are as bad as... I feel that the Leafs are defensively when I'm really mad at them. Like, (laughs) it says that they're uh, extremely porous defensively. To the point where it cancels out a lot of their offensive value.
0: Yes. And um, RAPM actually says the same thing. The last couple years, McDavid and Dreisaitl have had eye-popping offensive impact stats, but equally bad defensive impact stats. And the interesting thing is... Both McDavid and Drysdale, they've never been like selkie contenders or anything, but early in their career, they had fine-ish defensive numbers, like, you know, run of the mill for a star, where it's a little bit below average. But it, you know, doesn't matter because they're elite offensively. The last couple years, it's changed, basically since Todd McLennan has been fired, and then they had Ken Hitchcock and now Dave Tippett. And I wonder to what extent it is possibly a coaching decision that is made, where they are almost instructed to, hey, like, trade chances, right? Because, again, one thing this method doesn't really take into account is that when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl on the ice, even shots that are not taken by them probably have a very a much higher chance than usual of going in. Mm-hmm. And also, those two are two of the best shooters in the world. Right. So, you know, a high-octane game... With McDavid and Dreisaitl on the ice versus anyone else, I'm still favoring McDavid and Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. right? Because they are probably going to outshoot their opposition because they're they're that good offensively. And I wonder if it's saying like, hey, look, no one else on this team can score. If we're going to score, it's we're, it's going to have to be through us, and we have to try and make it as likely as possible that we outscore our matchup. And the way to do that is to try and get it as high event as possible.
1: Right. And then you can have a different strategy for the rest of the team. You know, we've talked about this before with the Boston Bruins, how it sometimes appears that the Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak line plays in a different system than the rest of the team. You know, like much more offense-heavy, despite their defensive reputation, whereas the the other lines try to slow the game down. It could make sense for the Oilers to operate on that model, where it's, we win the McDavid dry saddle matchup. And then our hope for the rest of it is basically just slow it down and come out at about even. And you know, if that works, you win. So it's something, it's not a perfect strategy, but it may be ne- necessitated by the lack of depth that they have.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting to, um, to think about that, right? Cause that's one thing we can't fully account for in, in any way. Mm-hmm. Right, the fact that y- you can account for like a system in a sense of like oh this you know you can include the coach essentially as a as a covariate in the model and that will kind of um result in some impact of the coach to everyone who they coach, but in there it's sort of assumed that the coach impacts everyone identically right right, which might not be the case right you could have different sets of instructions for different players um so that's an interesting thing to think about um as we said, McDavid, based on this, his twenty nineteen twenty twenty season is not as strong as one might immediately think, and actually the same is true for Drysaddle. And this is what makes kind of Drysaddle was probably going to run away with the Hart Trophy because he's having an absurd point scoring season. Yeah. Um, the evolving Wild Twins kind of mentioned that. Like, yeah, Drysaddle probably wouldn't be in our top five in the in the Hart discussion, and they got like flamed for
1: it. People um, got mad. Because oh, they listed people who in the model have slightly better net impacts than McDavid. And one of them was like Valerie Natushkin mm-hmm. And people were like, "Nichushkin better than Dreisaitl? Get out of town.
0: Yeah. And the frustrating thing about this is that, first off, they never said Dreisaitl was bad. They said, I probably wouldn't have him top five, which is reasonable, right? Yeah. Until very recently, Dreisaitl was getting outscored at even strength.
1: Yeah, you know, even now his his goal
0: his five goals for percentage was like you know fifty two percent or something, right. which is like you know if you're a first line guy you should be in the fifty five fifty six range, ideally, and obviously you know goals for percentage you you don't want to base every your judgment of an entire player off that heavily impacted by noise but it's not crazy to me that like hey this this guy who has a really um, mediocre you know, raw goals for rate right? might not impact goals for or goal differential as much as we thought because of his defense. That's not insane to me. Um, in general, skater defense is still really, really undervalued in how we how the common discourse talks about players, mm-hmm. right? Um, Drysaito is a very, very good player, and I, I don't, I wouldn't particularly hate him for the heart. I would probably have Panarin.
1: Yeah, I mean, Panarin would be would be my pick. But, you know, I I get it with Saddle. Like, he is a very impressive player. Yeah,
0: he's very good. He's very, very yeah. good. But that defense does account for something, even if it is a coaching choice, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, all this is to say, Matthews is unironically better than McDavid now.
1: <laughs> Everyone else can eat it, and no one can prove us wrong because there's no hockey anymore. Yeah, and so... math, math is on our side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, charts. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, like, an interesting little... You know, we, we do rely on these things, and then I rely on Arvin to tell me what they mean sometimes. But, um, yeah, so, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about. I, the most encouraging thing is Matthews coming into his own. Yeah, and, and
0: to be cl- like, if we just take a kind of quick tour around the other players on the Leafs, it, it's, the, this model is a refinement of a previous one, and as you would expect, there aren't typically huge differences between what the old isolated XG model says and what the new isolated XG model says. Um, Nylander looks very good, not like super elite, like not, you know, best in the world, but like very, very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like clear first liner. Marner remains kind of interesting in that isolated XG views his play driving impact as not that strong offensively, but like relatively strong defensively.
1: Yeah, which is interesting. And it's not the first time that that's shown up. Right. With him having a surprisingly good defensive impact. I mean, the, the famous thing about that was JVR Bozak-Marner, which is a line that you would not expect to have great defensive impacts, but it was used very offensively, and it appeared to. Um, so, you know, I, I'm still not sure what to make of Marner. I think he does do some things defensively that are useful. You know, he's a takeaway artist. He's energetic. Uh, I certainly don't think he's bad, but, you know, he's a a star playmaker, first and foremost. So,
0: yeah, and I wonder to what extent um, Marner is a bit of a victim of the the model framework that doesn't allow passers to really get credit for the improved shooting percentage of their line mates. Mm -hmm. Like that credit goes to the to the shooter in these models. Does Marner have that impact? Is he like a, a Thornton Backstrom type passer?
1: Yeah, and I don't know if he's in that tier, but he's very, very good. Yes. He so may he's... not be short of, like, far short of them. Like, Thornton, if... I think, is one of the best passers yeah, of, I mean, of Thornton, all time. Yeah, I mean, Thornton
0: might be the second best passer ever behind Gretzky.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it depends what you want to attribute uh, the success of someone like Crosby or Lemieux to, but. Yeah, I I mean, as a pure passer, he has few equals. So, yeah, I I mean, Marner is terrific at this stuff. I think that he's underrated by this. Yeah, I do but, as well. Uh, yeah. And,
0: and I guess Lost in... I think Marner got a lot of criticism this year because of his contract, and yeah. he had a bit of a scoring slump at times. And, of course, the team just wasn't as successful. And, in general, you know, the media and the fan base wants a scapegoat, and Nylander was playing too well to be a scapegoat. And we <laughs> Nylander was scoring too much to be a scapegoat, more specifically. Yeah. Um. And Marner is not really a goal-heavy guy. So, you know, we've talked about this before, but Marner will have these games where you don't really notice him that much. Uh, and then you look down, and he somehow has, like, two assists. Yep. And you're like, wait, how, how did that happen? Like, he, he did, like, three nice things all game, but, like, two of them ended up in the back of the net, and he just does that consistently. He always seems to rack up assists. Mm-hmm. So there was some criticism of him, but, you know, he is still a very, very brilliant player. Um, Tavares has had a bit of a down year right and we knew that beforehand and this you know we we, when we look at this model it kind of confirms that not that it was bad really in any sense but you do kind of want to be careful about that because you know he is going to be what 29 next year Mm -hmm. and Uh, or 30 30. yeah Yeah. 30 so you know we are paying him for another six seasons at 11 million each we want you know it's naive to expect that those seasons will all be elite first-line center, but we want, like, the first four of them to be, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's something to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah. I mean, all things considered, I think that this has more good than bad to say about our team.
0: Yeah. It, it, so. When you look at this team, it looks like a, a, a fine team that got uh, screwed by goaltending.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, probably has some truth into it, but anyway. Uh, there was one other thing that we wanted... To discuss. Just as sort of an aside. I feel a little bad bringing this up. But. I do recognize. You know this is a very tough time for content. If you're doing any kind of sports. You got to do what you can. To sort of gin up an audience. The Athletic is doing a thing. Where they just run a simulation of the playoffs. And just fake up stories. To meet what happened in the simulation with, like, fake quotes and everything, and I'm like, guys, what are we doing here? It's, okay, so,
0: <laughs> it, uh, in their defense, so, two points in their defense. Um, This is based on Dom Lechitian's model, and I am, like, 99% sure that Dom was told to do this. Yeah. <laughs> That's not something he particularly wanted to do, um, necessarily. And, secondly, a lot of the beat writers that they're writing the game quotes are having, like, fun with it making, like, kind of intentionally absurd yeah um some of them are not and in particular the people for the atlantic division which is our division obviously <laughs> were basically writing actual gamers yeah
1: and, i mean and it, it it's literally fantastic. i don't know yeah which you know is fine for what that is you know like but it's just you're supposed to be doing journalism, I feel like. I don't know. I Again, I am sympathetic. I do actually like The Athletic. I read them regularly, all that stuff. Yeah, we, we've both been subscribers really to The right
0: Athletic basically since day one.
1: Yeah, and you know what? They do have some content on the Leafs that I, I really enjoy. And I think the Raptors writers are great. But, you know, like, I, I, like, I have like secondhand embarrassment when I see that go up. Yeah, I no,
0: I, I, I'm the same way. The other thing that's, like... I guess this is just something that annoys me. One thing I hate is when you have a model, um, which, you know, is designed to understand, essentially, what... Th- these models ba- work based on simulations, right? They It's a simulation of, like, team strength, essentially. Or it's a model of team strength. And then, based on some decisions, you simulate how games would go between those teams. And you do that a huge number of times. And... You get the kind of implied odds for you know how often is one team gonna beat the other, and then running a simulation once is it's it's just always very weird to me because it it doesn't mean anything at all and I'm not saying people at the athletics are saying it's meaning anything, but it's just something where it it's in the same vein as um people who who run the mock lottery simulator and like tweet about it. it's like, oh, I got this, imagine if this happens like yes, there is an x percent chance that it happens. <laughs> cool like yeah. there's nothing contained in it that we don't already know it's like i was aware that the 12th fifth and third uh ranked teams could win the lottery that i knew that was a possibility it's not very likely but okay cool you show me it is possible neat <laughs> you right so I, I'm, I'm always just like okay like like what's the point um the, the idea behind simulations is to do a large number of them and be able to tease out aggregate behavior it is not necessary to do simulations in the case of, like, a mock lottery, be- uh, where the odds are literally given to you. Yeah. Right? Like, simulations are, are often used for things that we cannot calculate analytically. <laughs> um, so... It, yeah, but
1: it's fun. It's like playing the slots. Yeah, and, I suppose uh, so. Like,
0: I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't yeah. you know, I shouldn't yuck anyone's yum because, you know, it's harmless. There's no problem with it, but it's something that always just kind of, like, eats at my brain a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, it is a little weird. Now, I have to qualify this by saying Micah did do a simulation, Mm -hmm. and I thought this was actually good because it was this year's Detroit Red Wings versus the Tank Buffalo Sabres. It was a tournament between two of the worst teams of the salary cap era. Probably the two worst. And it went down to a thrilling triple OT uh, goal from (laughs) Rasmus Rostolein. Uh, for the Sabres to win in Game 7. Now, you see, that's the fun kind of fan fiction because it's two teams that are absolute garbage in some sort of perverse race to the bottom. That's fun to me. You know, I don't need a simulator to tell me that the Leafs are going to lose to Tampa probably in seven games yet again because I've cheered for this team long enough to know that that's how it always ends.
0: <laughs> yes. It, it, yeah, and I mean, like I said, I, I like it when you kind of, when they go about it with the more whimsical side. And yeah of the I mean, have are. some fun with it just right? don't take so... it don't take it seriously and make up like actual like somewhat believable game quotes about like what happened
1: <laughs> that 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 comes yeah. across
0: as a bit too like self-important
1: yeah and it's like I don't know that, that that ends up being a bit weird but you know that said we're all scrambling for content at this time so I sort of yeah do get just, where certainly from.
0: it's it's a hard... and also I mean for us you know being bloggers slash podcasters is not our main gig so we are not really that impacted by the nhl's lack of news right now like it's it's mildly harder to to come up with podcast ideas but like our livelihoods aren't dependent on it in the same way that a lot of people at the athletic are so certainly i have sympathy Mm -hmm. for that and it's I understand why they they want to gin up some content as you said
1: yeah so you know just make it slightly less cringy content yeah (laughs) that's all we ask but uh yeah anyway so uh yeah i guess that's all the content that we were able to gin up for this week (laughs) (laughs) and hopefully only 50 percent of it made you cringe Oh, yeah, that's what we aspire to.
0: Yeah, so um, thank you guys all for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and at ATFuleman. We will see you again next week.